This morning we're going to be considering the power that's at work within each of us with saving faith. So this morning our call to worship comes from Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This morning we'll be reading out of Habakkuk, our first reading. Uh, if you've opened your Bibles, Habakkuk's one of those little books, it's hard to find sometimes, so if you go to Matthew and go back about four books, there's Habakkuk in between. Nahum and Zephaniah. Most of what we're going to read today in chapter 2 is concerning the depravity of man, the ungodliness of man, with a glimmer of hope. Listen for that glimmer of hope. Habakkuk 2. I will take my stand at my watch post. And station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he is never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him, with scoffing and riddles for him, and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise, and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. To set his nest on high, <clears throat> to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood. And founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire? And nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. 
drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as well as the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them, who profit, what profit is an idol? When, it make, when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there's no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Remembering verse 4. But the righteous shall live by faith. Thus says the word of the Lord. This morning our message comes from Romans, Romans 1. Be reading Romans 1, uh, verse 1 through 17. You can open your Bible and follow along. Once again, Romans 1, verses 1 through 17. We come now before the Lord to hear His holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least succeed to coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous 
shall live by faith. Thus says the word of the Lord. This week when I was preparing for this message, I we were talking about different things that the world does to, to keep ourselves healthy and alive and to ward off death. And I was remembering, a, I'm not sure what made me remember this, but there was a guy, and I don't know if you all remember him, back in the 70s, early 80s. His name was Jim Fix. He was a runner. I don't know if he was inspired by Forrest Gump. But he was a runner. He wrote the complete book of running. And I think he, he's kind of the father of all the, the, the people that are out there running, even to this day. All the jogging that you see and all the different running. It was interesting how, how he started that whole thing and it still goes on today. What The health benefits that were proclaimed by him when you go out and you run for your health. So today we will be considering life, health, and fitness for our souls. You know, there's a lot to be said considering these first 17 verses of Romans. And, but today we're going to just narrow our look down to, to one specific thing, and that is faith. There is much to be learned in these first 17 verses about faith. Some words are very difficult to, to define. For instance, love is a word that's it's difficult to define. Is love simply an emotion? Is it a feeling? Or is love deeper than that? Faith is another one of those words. Very difficult to define. Let me clarify. Saving faith is very difficult to define. And we find the beautiful definition of faith in Hebrews 11, along with examples of all the, the great men of faith. We call it the Hall of Faith. But even still, even after reading Hebrews 11, Faith, saving faith, is especially hard to define. Jesus proclaims there's a faith that does not save. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There are people who have a faith. They prophesy. They cast out demons. They do mighty works in the name of Jesus. But they do not have saving faith. Jesus proclaims, he will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Therein lies the difficulty. Those who cry out, Lord, Lord, on, the day, on that day they meet Jesus. I would venture to say, they believe they had faith. 
They prophesied. They cast out demons. They, they did all that. If you would have asked them, they would have believed they had faith. I would venture to say Paul had a faith. And he believed wholeheartedly he was doing the will of God when he persecuted Christians, when he threw them in jail, when he killed them, right up to his conversion on his way to Damascus. Paul was a faithful man, faithful to the traditions and teaching to become, to be a Pharisee. He certainly had faith to memorize the Old Testament. Old Testament, faithfully studied the languages, fluent in Hebrew and Greek, really knew the Scriptures. And while Paul was in his ungodly, faithful condition, a faithful Pharisee, persecuting Christians, killing Christians, Paul was instantaneously, very dramatically, Converted on the road to Damascus. Paul was groomed since birth by God to be an apostle. And at the time appointed by God, Paul was made a servant of Jesus. What changed? What changed on the road to Damascus? What happened to Paul? Grace. By God's grace, Paul was converted, born again. Given a new heart, a new nature. The Holy Spirit working saving faith into his newly created, born again heart. Paul is God's workmanship. Put on display for us. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Highly educated. Knowing the word of God. Converted on that road to Damascus. Three years Paul spent relearning scripture. The gospel. God's workmanship. Saving faith. Put on display. And now Paul greets the saints in Rome with his letter. And in verse 1-6, through Paul explains how he was made an apostle of Jesus Christ. How he was set apart for the gospel. Paul came to know the true, true gospel after three years of restudy. Following his conversion with eyes of faith. Paul relearned the truth of scripture. The promise of a savior. The son of God who descended from David. Proclaimed by the prophets throughout the Old Testament. Can you imagine what that was like for Paul? To have the truth of scripture revealed to him in that way? He didn't fight it. He soaked it in. He took it all in. He had a new heart, a new nature. He had saving faith. He was humbled, made alive in Christ with a hunger and a thirst for the truth of God's Word. Paul knew Scripture. Paul had developed a belief, developed a faith, developed an obedience that was absolutely shattered by the true gospel message. Paul had been made alive in Christ by saving faith. Paul now understood grace, understood saving faith, understood the promises, the promise of the Son of God sent to redeem a people 
for himself. All the promises proclaimed in the Old Testament by the prophets, Paul now understood. All by saving faith. And Paul greets the saints in Rome with this greeting. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace was the greeting of the Old Testament. Paul understood grace comes before peace. Paul wrote this letter because he longed to travel to Rome to meet with the saints there because their saving faith was being proclaimed throughout all the world. Paul longed to meet with them. Paul prayed for them unceasingly, just as he did for all the churches. Paul wanted to go to Rome to meet with the saints that he may impart to them some spiritual gift to strengthen them. Paul wanted to go to, to Rome to proclaim the word of God because he knew, he knew his faith would encourage and build their faith and their faith would encourage and build his faith. There's this mutual faith between minister and people. The, the people confide in their minister as a faithful minister, and the minister confides in the people as faithful people. Mutual faith, producing love, a uniting love, love for God, love for one another. There's a mutual faith between the people of God that unites them one to another. A mutual work of faith bringing up spiritual concerns. All the, all the saints speaking one to another about spiritual concerns. What is our greatest spiritual concern but death? Death was a great concern for the people of that time. There were many enemies around. In the Old Testament, in the days of Samuel, the people wanted a king. Because there was a threat of war and death. People wanted a king to protect them. The people at that time rejected God. They believed that only a king could protect them from death. Throughout the history of fallen man, our greatest enemy, that penalty for disobedience, for ungodliness, sin, our greatest enemy is death. Our greatest spiritual concern is death. We don't always talk about death, but we do constantly fight it. In the womb, we must rely on our mothers to fight the battle of death for us. To keep us alive, we are dependent on our mothers. Once born, we need the help of our parents, but we begin to take on the, the battle ourselves, fighting death. We fight death our whole lives. We breathe to maintain our life. We eat, we drink, we study, we strategize. We consult with doctors. We develop a physical training program. Most of the time, without even thinking about it, that we're fighting death. We spend our whole lives fighting death. But God, we have a Savior who has saved us from death. We have a king that saves us from death. We shall face physical death, but our death is not a satisfaction.
for our sin. But is only a dying to sin and an entering into eternal life. Faith is life for the believer. It was for Paul. We see it worked out of Paul's life. And it is for all the redeemed. We see saving faith working in three ways in Paul's life. And in all who are the redeemed. First, faith justifies giving life. Faith nourishes, sustaining life. And faith guides, directing life. We can think about Paul's life. But this is true of everybody. Everybody who is redeemed. Just as we learn of Paul in the journey to Damascus, unbelievers may be on the road to all kinds of sin. Yet, salvation begins with God's grace. Forming a new living heart out of a dead heart. A new living heart, a new nature, a new, a new possessing of saving faith. A saving faith that trusts and believes that Jesus, the Son of God, was sent into the world in order to save sinners. That Christ lived a sinless, righteous life. That Christ suffered all through His life. That Christ especially suffered under Pontius Pilate. Christ died upon a cross, taking upon Himself God's wrath through sinners, atoning for sin. That Christ truly died and was buried. That Christ, Christ rose on the third day, conquering death for all who believe by saving faith. That Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. And just as with Paul, at the appointed time and place, according to God's plan and purposes, the Holy Spirit takes a dead heart and makes it alive in Christ, creating a new nature, a nature that has worked in its saving faith in order to believe, in order to be justified, to be rescued from eternal death, eternal punishment. And as Paul will go on to say in Romans 5, once justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have access to God and we live we are alive with the sure hope that death has been defeated for us by our Lord and Savior. Faith justifies giving life. God's love is poured out into our living hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And as our faith grows, our love grows. How does our faith grow? As Paul proclaims in verses 11 and 12, For I long to see you, <coughs> that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Faith nourishes, sustaining life. All who are in Christ grow in faith. Grow in the bond of love to God and by our mutual faith we encourage and strengthen each other. Paul was strengthened during his three years after his conversion learning the truth 
of all that the Word of God promises and all that the prophets spoke concerning our Lord and Savior. Today it's no different. We read and study the Word of God and we are nourished. We worship God and hear His Word preached and we are nourished. We partake in communion and we are nourished. We understand that just as bread and wine sustain the temporal life, so also Christ's crucified body and shed blood are the true meat and drink of our souls unto life eternal. <coughs> we pray and we are nourished. We depend on God's ordinary means of grace to nourish and sustain, sustain us while we remain in this life. And we do not abuse God's ordinary means of grace. As Paul proclaims, verse 16, we are not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. We're not ashamed of the true gospel. We don't turn the true gospel message into a self-help message <coughs> describing only great benefits for healing, prosperity, protection. We don't hide the depravity of fallen man. We don't hide God's wrath poured out upon His Son in our place. We don't hide the need for repentance. We don't hide the need for conversion. The need for a born-again living heart, a new nature. The need for the gift of saving faith. Leading to belief in our Lord and Savior. In order to be justified sanctified to new life in Christ. We don't hide the need for ongoing grace that grows faith <coughs> until the day we are brought home to live eternally with our Lord and Savior. And we don't hide this saving faith guides and directs our life. We have many great examples of faith. Hebrews 11 again. We find the hall of faith throughout the history of the church. Many great examples. Paul, arguably, may be the greatest example. Depending on God's providential work of grace and the outpouring of faith by the Holy Spirit, believers are capable of a wide range of works. But we must continually consider it is God's workmanship that created us in Christ Jesus for good works. God has prepared beforehand for each one of us those works. And it is by faith that God guides and directs us in this life. God has decided beforehand the works He has for us. God's providential work of grace, the outpouring of faith, will guide. But we can quench the work, and it becomes a battle within, a spiritual battle. As Paul would go on to say, why do I not do what I want to do? But I do the very thing I hate. We all fight that battle. God knows our battle. God knows our spiritual battles perfectly and uses them to refine us. This is God's ongoing refining workmanship. 
continually working on us by grace and faith, shaping us into the person He wants us to be, to do the things He has prepared beforehand for us to do. Each step of the way, each requirement, guiding us, directing us, to be who He has determined we are to be. To do the work He has determined us to do. Do not quench the Spirit. Be guided by that hunger and thirst for righteousness. We are covered in Christ's righteousness. Christ has taken care of righteousness for us. We're justified. But we hunger and thirst to be righteous. Some build libraries of books, more books than they will be able to read in their lifetime. Because we are bound by love to God and we hunger and thirst for that righteousness. We're driven. It's that hunger and thirst that directs our lives. Some are made content to live in the family of Christ, united together, sharing in mutual faith, Worshipping, singing, learning, coming together for fellowship, to teach the truth of the gospel to their children, to be a light in the world so that the world will talk of their faith. God does direct some to be pastors, elders, deacons. God directs some to be great writers, evangelists, theologians, professors. Embrace where you are being directed to be content to be the person God has determined beforehand for you to be. I started off by talking about Jim Fix, a man who started a health craze to ward off death. July 20th, 1984, while out on a run in his Vermont neighborhood, Jim Fix died of a heart attack. He could not ward off death. Death is coming for each and every one born into this life. But eternal life is waiting for all who have been born again into new life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who works saving faith into a truly alive heart in order to believe, in order to be justified, sanctified, glorified. Be content. Faith is life for the believer. By faith through grace, the Holy Spirit gives life. By faith through grace, the Holy Spirit sustains life. By faith through grace, the Holy Spirit directs life. The Holy Spirit directs all who are in Christ to know and to follow the will of God for our lives. Let us pray. Once again, we come before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, graciously grant that your word, which we have heard, may be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. Translate your word into love in our hearts. Fill our hearts with your divine love, a love that strengthens our bond to you, a love that grows in us more and more each day. A love that radiates truth to a fallen world. A love that compels us to seek after you, to follow you, 
to walk in love, to walk in light, to walk in wisdom. Shape our hearts to love you. Compel us to walk in Christ, to glorify you in all that we do. Compel us to pray unceasing for the body of Christ. Cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to live in holiness, diligently following your commandments. Create in us that which is pleasing to your love. Make us to love you with all our heart, and with all our soul, and with all our mind, and with all our strength. And to love our neighbor as as ourselves. We ask you, Lord, shine your light upon us that we may reflect and radiate your life, your love to the world. Use us to lead those who are lost, wandering and confused into the way of truth, so they may not love you. Continue to bless us and protect us as we sojourn in this fallen world. All this we pray for the honor and praise of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.